my lower back, my lower back ached, everything ached, except everything except my hand, and it was the only thing that was the only thing that was moving for like you know so twenty two hours there. So, so they, where was this that you went into? Westminster, Westminster, uh, Maryland, is the big um, distribution center for all of Random House Knopf, um, and we were in just this one section, and then and and. And you go out into this enormous, this enormous area, um, where they have all the conveyor belts, and the books are being packaged and put onto pallets, and 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 the and the pallets are, it, you know what it reminds you of? It reminds you of you know the final scene of the first Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> okay. where they where they're taking the ark and they're putting it in, you, in, in the camera. Courses, the yeah. camera can, pans back, and you see that the ark is going into this. <laughs> It's <laughs> a room as big as the world. That's kind of that's kind of the, what what Westminster is like. And how do you feel as a writer when you see the fruits of your labor? Small, going the <laughs> in a word. <laughs> you think, well, what have I wrought? What have I wrought here? It's uh, how do you feel about the whole signing um, side of things? Do you, I mean, are you the sort of person that would buy a sign? You know, because I know you're a huge, say, Mark Twain fan. Would you would you be interested in? In sort of first editions or finding things. Oddly, with- oddly enough, no. Um, and um, the reason the reason that I know this is that my <laughs> wife ran across um, a signed copy of a writer, and I don't even remember now who it was, but it was a lot of money. And um, she said. Um, because it was a lot of money. She really wanted to make sure. She said, you, I found this. Do you want me to buy it? I said, God, no. no. Um, um, and and I, was, I surprised myself because I responded so quickly. I really didn't even have to think about it. You didn't need the... I didn't, didn't, need, didn't, didn't need the signature. What I, what I find myself... Um, what I like... I love beautiful editions of, of books. So for me, um, I mean, they don't have to be rich editions or anything like that, but a complete set of the Dickens Everyman series with the, with the original illustrations, okay. for instance. That's something that, that, okay. that I would want. Because of the original illustrations and, and because it's going to be a very nicely bound book with a ribbon, you know, it's just and it has a, a nice, nice texture to it, and, and and the printing is nice. So the the book is an artifact. I'm I'm interested in, but a a a signed first edition of the Great Gatsby, just because it's a signed first edition. <laughs> I, strangely enough, I don't have that really? much. I just don't have that much interest in that. It's quite a weird thing now as well, because there's there's a sort of market for signed first editions. That I think then don't get read. It's like that sort of thing. I remember when Star Wars figures came out, and if you right. kept it in the box, right. And it's a slightly strange. So, with you, will your Everyman Dickens will that get read? You, this is oh, yeah. this isn't for no, no. This isn't for show on the on the on the shelf. No, it will be read. Yeah, definitely. Mm. That's a strange. As a matter of fact, I've got you know I got rid of because I had I've been you know I had at the time I I got that I had some of my old. Um, you know, paperbacks, and attended and back in graduate school at the time. They tended to order, you know, the cheapest edition possible, <laughs> simply because they were just taking pity on all of us who had no, who had no money really to, to spend. So you'd you'd find a, 
like Adele edition of Crime and Punishment. You know, you think, and you pick it up. Of course, now it's you know, all these years later. It's you know it's falling apart anyway. So you give it give it the boot. Um, but yeah, I found all those all those old editions, and and part of me was thinking, well, that was that was mine. And sometimes I would find little notes. I'd made I'd made a note in the margin or something like that. And I didn't even, I didn't even feel any any particular affection for my younger self. <laughs> it's not just Scott Fitzgerald's name that I I don't care about. I don't care about my own thoughts as a younger man. <laughs> Do you ever read? But I I love doing that when you read back through the sort of you know semi profound yeah, yeah. exclamation mark or yeah. so, you know underlined or, or sometimes the underlined thing that you've not commented on and then you look at it years later and think of all this book I underlined that. <laughs> but do you, but things like that now. If you, I don't know if you've got a writer's archive. You know, if you've done that sort of stuff. I know writers yeah. who've done a deal, whether it's with is it Austin, is it the Austin Texas Yeah, Library? that's that's the big, that's, the big one. That's the big everything. One. You know, yeah. you know, receipts for shoes. You know, yeah. anything could be. I've not been very good about that. Um, my daughter, my daughter Kate, uh, my younger daughter, we were making a big move at the time from Camden, where we were living. We were moving. Um, we were moving down to uh, to Portland, and I had just been stuffing all of my archive stuff into into boxes and everything. None of it was categorized. None of it. And and um, you know, I am sixty seven. I was sixty six at the time, or sixty five. And, and the question is coming up because um, there is there is one place that really wants my my letters. Uh, not enough to pay for them, but but, <laughs> but they're but they're very interesting. <laughs> Um, and um, a rare book dealer came to me years ago um, expressing interest um, wanting to make the deal with the University of Texas and for all kinds of reasons I just don't want my I just don't want my work in you know, I'm a northeastern writer. I just don't see any particular. I mean, yeah. half, the, half the great British writers are over yeah. there in Texas now. Too, yeah. but I just, I just didn't, I just didn't feel any connection yeah. to, to that. I mean, it's a great, it's a great library, but I didn't, I didn't want my stuff there. So anyway, I had, and and Kate needed. Kate is an artist, so, um, and her husband is an artist, so they're always they're always looking for other things. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to pay someone to do this anyway, because clearly I'm not going to do it. So I hired Kate to go through all of all of this stuff, and she worked on it for um, you know three or four months cataloging. Cataloging. She she started out even in xeroxing things, and then she really realized that that was going to be cost prohibitive and and and, and silly. So she just she she learned the whole process in doing in doing all of that, and so we've it's now consolidated. How much are we talking? Um, Rooms worth of. I would say maybe 35 boxes of stuff, most of it worthless. <laughs> or, I mean, almost all of it's worthless to me, but somebody, somebody apparently... This is what, manuscripts, lessons? Um, yeah, um, you know, when I got, starting around Riskpool, with my first novel, it still hadn't occurred to me that, that I would have papers or that anybody <laughs> would be interested in them. But somewhere along the line, my second novel, somebody must have said something. Are you are you saving your stuff? And I started saving it in the sense of throwing it into boxes. So from that point forward, I've got I've got um, my editor's comments, and I save all of my drafts, right. all of my my marginalia, my notebooks. I save all of that stuff. But no, the Constance Garnett Dell 
dull paperback translation of Dostoevsky. Okay. Uh, that's that, okay. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's gone. <laughs> Do you have a look at the, I mean, slightly to to the new book Every, Everybody's Fool which is do you ever look back do you, would you ever look back to those things so I, was, I was thinking this is a sequel mm-hmm. I'm always curious technically what do people have to do in order, do you have to go back and read the Nobody's Fool or do you can you start somewhere imaginatively can you, yeah. do you, can you inhabit the characters in a and say, I'm drawing a line, I don't need to know exactly... Because there's obviously lots and lots of references yeah. to things that went yeah. on in the, in, in the original, not in the first novel. Yeah. Well, I did go back and read it at some point, but I, I went back and read it. Um, I think I had started the book and probably been working on it for several months before I went back and read it. <laughs> and I went back and read it because there were just certain things I couldn't remember. <laughs> so it was, just a, it, was just, it was just a curiosity thing more than anything else. I felt like what I knew uh, most about the characters would still be there. And that was generally true, but but because I wasn't terribly interested in the details of the first book anymore, um, I didn't go back to it immediately. I didn't feel like I needed to freshen up particularly. Um, but um, but I did. I was aware that I was being careless in that respect, and so once I got a little bit farther into the book, I did go back and reread it. I took some notes, and then. I gave the book um, to my older daughter, Emily, who's a bookseller, and I said, do me a favor and just read this book because when I finish a draft, I'm going to um, send it to you. I, I want to give it to you to read and just see if there's anything, any contradictions. That right. I, and she found several, um, as, did, as did my wife. They weren't, um, um, they weren't earth-shattering things. But I had forgotten that that Sully had um, not two but three grandchildren. <laughs> I'd forgotten the baby completely. So you killed all um, Ruth. Brothers. Ruth has. Um, I've accounted for um, her granddaughter, who's fairly who's fairly important. But I had forgotten about her son completely, and so I had to so I had to do a backstory for once. Once uh, Emily read that, and read, what, what, what about Ruth's son? Where's he? Uh, what son? What you... <laughs> he's a son, uh, and he's he's alluded to, and Sully worries about him in the first book because he's getting old enough to know or to or to figure out that there's something going mm-hmm. on between between uh, Sully and Ruth. Um, so yeah, and then and so then when Emily 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 read the book. Um, and came back and said, "Am I missing something?" But here are some questions, and in every case, she had isolated something—just a, 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 you know, a, the kind of thing you would not want to miss, you know, for for continuity's sake. But that's sort of interesting. That it's it's how you're conceiving of a character. It, it can sort of matter whether they've got a son or don't have a son. Yeah. So it, it suggests how. I mean, it's, you could you could say this is about memory, but this is also right. about you just thinking differently about about Ruth in yes. nineteen ninety yes. than you were in two thousand and and that's and that, James that's actually that's that's part of what I think is going as I as I continued to um, as I continued to write this book and one of the reasons I wanted Emily and Barbara to, to both check check me out on this was that everybody's. Everybody has, has said about this book when I've been talking in the interviews. Well, what was different about these characters? The main thing that was different about these characters is me. <laughs> Twenty-three years later, I'm just not the same guy. 
So this is. Can I ask you a really crude? So yeah. How, how how did this show you how you changed or how? Would I you, think I think so. You, yeah. No. Changed? I I think so. And and the and, and just as an example, um, there is a scene in 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 everybody's fool, which you you'll probably remember. It, it's a, it's a scene in which Sully is about is about to go off to war. Mm. And Miss Burl is the only one. Um, her her husband, the coach, is anxious for Sully to go off and and you know and 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 go to war and 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 become a man and and um, it, it seems to be in the in in the in the water. I mean, everybody everybody that is that he knows is encouraging to, him to do this, except Miss Burl. And um, now this is information that would have been that would have been accessible to me in 1990 writing the book. I had not written that scene, but the relationship between Sully and Miss Burl, their affection for each other, both in time present and, and in time past, because there are sections in nobody's fool that flash back mm. to when he's, when he's playing football for the coach and, 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 and Miss Burl. <clears throat> so all of that, that time period I had already investigated, but Miss Burl sitting him down uh, in that <coughs> kitchen and offering him a cup of tea and Sully taking that cup of tea. And there's a great deal to do with Sully drinking and not drinking tea in the earlier book. So, mm. that, so that comes in and makes its reprise. But the conversation that he has with Miss Burl, which Miss Burl says, I'm afraid you're going to, you're going to hurt yourself. Not yourself, but your, yourself, in mm. quotes. Um... That that conversation was would not have been even if I had asked myself to to imagine a scene between Miss Burl and Sully just before he went off to war. Mm. What she thought about the war and the exact nature the exact nature of her uh, of her not wanting to, why she wouldn't have wanted Sully to go off that wouldn't have been available to me in 1992. Why do you think that? <sighs> I just I don't know I wasn't I wasn't there yet, but all the things that have happened since 1992, um, so so now we're suddenly we're suddenly in a world before the World Trade Center attacks. We're in a world mm. uh, we're in a different we're in a different. When is this world? You know, I noticed there was a mention of cellular yeah, phones, right? And that was a big, and there was an answer right. phone tape. Right. I was trying to. It's obviously it's some time after. Yeah, school, and I, not, I think it's like 1999. Okay, but so I mean, the World Trade Center attacks haven't happened hasn't in happened. hasn't in, in the time frame yeah. of the novel, yeah. but it's happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> so in the in the meantime, so I think that that um, a lot of. The, and this is a darker book than than, mm. than than the earlier book, and I think that a lot of the of the darkness um, in in this book is 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 not so much an imaginative reflection on my part, saying to myself, "Well, what would have happened to Sully? What would have happened to Ruth?" It's just a lot of you know post two thousand ten. Richard Russo draining in some way um, breaking breaking containment <laughs> but it's an interesting thing yeah. to do to set yeah. it so it's a fascinating imaginative thing to do to set it before 
I suppose, the, the event that has set off the last yeah. 16 years for, for most people in the world. Yeah. To set it deliberately before that, but actually to invest it with emotions that would probably have yeah. happened to you. Yeah, after. Yeah. Why, why set it before 9-11? And, uh, well, some of it, I mean, some of it was just purely um, uh, practical. Um, Sully was, we know when the first book took took place so Sully and Sully was 60 then mm. and I couldn't imagine writing the book without Sully in it yeah and um, if we're doing real time then he'd be like a hundred years old so <laughs> he'd be he'd be in his 90s and I wanted him I wanted him to be 70 I wanted him to I wanted him to have at least a, a decade's worth of of, of years um, on him and it also seemed to me, or I learned fairly early on in the scheme of things, that if the first book was going to be really set in motion by the arrival of his son and grandson, that probably there would be a nice symmetry in having this book really be set in motion by by those two same characters leaving. Hmm. So we have this... A lot of what Sully's trying to deal with right now is the result of Will going off to college and, and Peter saying that he'll go too. There's no there's no reason in the world to hang around. Yeah. Um, so just just the arithmetic. There was a certain arithmetic in the movie that was or in the in in the in the uh, in this in this novel. Um, there's a certain arithmetic that I just couldn't get beyond. So I, I just added ten years and that put us from yeah 1989 to or 1990 to year 2000 so I, I in, in my mind this book t- it takes place in the year 2000 for me at least there was it was it was comfortable to to put it at a time where there's I mean the internet had been invented and cell phones were just beginning to come into their um, uh, were just beginning to come into prom- prominence. Everybody in New York, an awful lot of people in New York, would have had cell phones, but almost nobody up in uh, in upstate New York. Yeah. and there wouldn't have been towers. There wouldn't have been cell phone towers for people driving up the Northway. Yeah. So, so it was it was it was comfortable for me to write this for me kind of timeless place at a time when, unlike now, where you know, technology really has left a, a, a major uh, uh, thumbprint on everybody's lives um, up in upstate New York, even in the remote areas, kind of remoter areas that, that, that I'm writing about. And I didn't want that to have changed yet. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to see it. I wanted the readers to see it coming. Mm. But I didn't. But it was, it was just so much more comfortable for me not to have to deal with it as, as a. Uh, as an object in the room that must, mm. as, as, as an elephant in the room that had to be discussed. <laughs> so. Is that essentially what you were just saying? That there's a way that even when you just showed me the picture of having to mm. to to um, sign nine thousand books, there's a way then that our lives become date stamped by the technology. Here's the right. picture of me. So when we, I was just in upstate New York with our um, my daughter, and so the, the grandchild is now date stamped, and I'll know what she was right. doing at every minute. This is a novel. Every photograph, has every that photograph now on the new iPhones has and, it. And it tells you where you are. Yeah. If you've forgotten, if you've forgotten <laughs> what this is a photograph of, it's there. Yes. 
right? <laughs> because we, we we don't we we don't even have we don't have to know to, how to get there <laughs> because we have we have we have, <laughs> we have the global positioning. We, we don't have to know how to get there. Once yeah. we're there, we don't have to remember yeah. where it was. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted this book to take place before that. <laughs> but, this, but that's interesting for the particularly for this book, which is so interested about the strange passage of time. Right. In a way, character, some characters. To some extent, Sully actually, perhaps for the first time, incredibly aware of, of yeah, time. Sure. Of yeah, so a little left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And other characters who seem to still be meandering through. And in fact, when you were just talking about, you know, your archive, I was thinking that the, the fantastic scene uh, describing the amount of, of crap Zach has right. bring and Ruth sort of right. Yeah. Um, was that part of it? That in a way, the technology. I mean, maybe not. This wasn't your foremost, but that. How do you write about time? After all this technology, it's, it's, it's a different thing that we can sort of refer and know exactly mm-hmm. where we were. We can look at, you know, if you have Facebook and you look at the, your mm-hmm. timeline and probably, if you use it, know exactly what you were doing on any given day. There was a slightly different sense of time, partly because the novel does move backwards and forwards. You often have an event. We see that mm-hmm. we, we hear about snakes. Mm-hmm. We re- rewind then to find out what might have... Why was there a man running in right. his box of shorts? That's right. We That's don't right. find out for a little while. Yeah. Is that is that is that another advantage for a, for a fiction writer of pre-internet um, locating? That's an interesting question. I have to think about that. Um, <laughs> but it, maybe I mean maybe there's just some of that. There's, there seems to be a lot of that in the water these days. I'm reading a book right now by a friend of mine that fractures time in that way, and the book actually moves backward. And how many how many novels have we seen? In the last few years, that are told backwards. Mm. You know, we've seen a, we've seen a lot of those. Mm. It seems to me. I don't think I saw ever one. I don't. Think, I can't remember one that goes backwards like that. That's that's more than a decade old. I don't know if it was a Martin Amis novel, uh, Times Arrow about the Holocaust, which does the Holocaust backwards. Mm. So you see it all on and, and I haven't and, and I haven't read that, but. Yeah, we are obsessed now. It's yeah, we're we're there's there's a lot of there's a lot of that going going on now, and I can't remember ever thinking about that, um, about doing about doing that in particular. Um, but you're right now that you now that you point it out, and and at sometimes not terribly opportune times, um, because very near the end of that book, there's the long chapter about where we go into the mayor's past. Mm. Uh, and and learn basically why his wife always has that princess foam that she's thinking yeah, about. Yeah, so she called it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's and it's a long digression, and and a lot of times when you when you in a in a novel when you have that that sort of backstory, that stuff is much more likely to happen in the first half of a novel yeah. than it is in the than it is in the second half, and and. Um, I guess because this whole book takes place over Memorial Day, and so much of it is about memory, um, I think that that fracturing of time and the insistence that the that the past is every bit as much as alive as the present, and is a key to the future. Um, I think that there's, it's most it was mostly probably thematic for me right. for to make to make Miss Burl. Absolutely present in this novel, despite the fact that she's been dead for ten years. 
It just seemed mm-hmm. absolutely crucial. And here, and here I am, I mean, even at the end of the book, and I recognize it too, in a way, as a, as a design flaw to bring Kurt, a whole brand new character, so close to the end of the so close to the end of the book at a time when Act Three you should be you should be just driving for the finish line at that point and yet I don't know it just seemed just that that bringing the past into that into that into that kind of bright focus as if to say don't get too caught up in 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 in, 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 in present events. 